Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 17 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 17, if you want to turn there. The title of the message is Brighter Than the Sun. Brighter Than the Sun. This is sermon number 68 through the book of Matthew. This is chapter 17 in our Bibles. We are starting, and we're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview, as we're really trying to look through the lens of the Lord Jesus, his teachings, his way of living and life for society. But Matthew chapter 17 in our Bibles, and we will work through verses 1 through 13. And once again, we are seeing the Lord Jesus reveal himself deeper to his disciples. And what we'll see today in our text is the Lord showing his disciples, who already know him very well, he is affirming who he is over and over and over again to remind us of who he is. Oftentimes we forget who he is. We think of him as just a teacher or a prophet. But he is the Lord God Almighty, and he has actually given instruction and direction for life. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the one who holds all knowledge and wisdom. And I'm telling you, the best thing you could ever do is go directly to him over and over and over again in your life. Jesus, help me. Lord, be with me today. Use me for your glory. Give me direction and vision. Man, I got an issue going on, and I don't know how to deal with this. I'm going to his word. I want to see what he has to say first. I want to go to the counselor, the prince of peace, almighty God. That's what we're looking at today as we study through Matthew 17. Heard of a story, though, before we dive into the text. Maybe you heard of this one. At the pearly gates, again, there was actually an Uber driver there. True story. And a minister waiting in line to get into heaven. And St. Peter consults his list. And he says to the Uber driver, take this silken robe and a golden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. St. Peter next greets the minister there behind the Uber driver, and he says, take this cotton robe and a wooden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. The minister says, wait just a minute. That, that man was an Uber driver, and he gets a silk robe and a golden staff, and I get a cotton one and a wood staff. How can this be? Well, Peter says, well, up here we work by results, and while you preached, people slept. But while he drove, people prayed. <laughs> <laughs> these are the jokes okay have you ever wondered if things are going to get better here on this earth after hanging out with good friends this last week i find myself saying this over and over at times and i just have a good time with people like i just have a really good time you know lots of laughs some real honest conversation just good times and you're just reflecting on it just saying man i wish it could be this way forever you know why can't it just always be this way? And we got responsibilities and we got things we got to get back to and we got life and disciplines we have to work out and we can't just keep on doing that and stay in that zone forever. There are so many things that pull at our attention and demands and we only have so much time. We have so many priorities to take care of. So we vacation and we have fun with family and friends and we get these glimpses of the way it's supposed to be. 
Just hanging out, enjoying the people that you love, having deep, uninterrupted conversations. I wish it could always be like this. But sin has corrupted our world, and we have all these things in the way now. But church, did you know that there is a day coming when all will be restored back to the way God had made it, back to the Garden of Eden? It will all be restored back. And oh, how we long for that day when there will be peace and prosperity for all, when everything will be made right, when joy will flow from the rivers and love from the sun. And we will enjoy ourselves building society, creating, enjoying life together, loving and serving each other, loving and serving our God the way it was supposed to be, the way God made it in the first place. And you know the story, Adam uh, messed that thing up for all of us. And Eve, yes, yeah, like, this is good, sir, thank you. It's true, sir, just don't leave out Eve, okay? All the ladies are like, you better not. That's funny. Today we get a glimpse of Jesus in the heavenly state. We get a glimpse of the way it's supposed to be. The disciples actually get to see him in his heavenly state. It's a really cool passage. 13 verses in the book of Matthew, chapter 17. We're going to read these verses. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? We always stand for the reading of His Word to remember whose Word we are reading. Not mine, but it's the Lord's. And I hope that you would always look to His Word. I hope that you would always anchor in His Word. His Word gives life. Matthew, chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Are you there? It says, In six days later, Jesus brought with Him Peter and James and John his brother, and led them up on the high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And Peter answered and said to them, said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three booths here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do these scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but to him whatever they wished. They did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you reveal this text to us? Would you help us to see the Lord Jesus shining brighter than the sun? And would he shine brighter and brighter into our own lives that we might shine greatly into this city, into our families, into these places that you call us to go into? Let our light so shine before men they'd see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's our prayer. Lord, help us. Help us see you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
Remember where we left off last week, we talked about the secrets of suffering. Do you remember? We saw Peter get an F plus on the test. When he tried to, remember, he pulled the Lord aside and tried to rebuke him for saying he was going to go to the cross. It's hilarious. Because he had told the disciples that he would suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and make his way to the cross, but that he would raise from the dead on the third day. And then he then told them, if anyone wants to come after him, they must die to self, die to the world, lose their life for his sake, and then they will find it. Then they will find true life. Then they will be resurrected to true life and that abundantly. This is where our story picks up. It says six days later, verse one, take a look at your text. Jesus brought with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Uh, Matthew points out that six days have gone by, and we don't know exactly why, but he makes a very specific point there. He decides to say it. He could have just said, a little bit later, this happened, or uh, later that week. But he says six days have gone by. It has been a, a week for sure since Peter's F-plus on the test. And the Lord grabs Peter, James, and John. Hey, guys, let's go up to that high mountain right there. Jesus calls his closest friends. He says, come on, we're going on a hike to the top of Mount Hermon. Hermon is the highest mountain in Israel with considerable religious and cultural significance. The mountain is 7,336 feet high. The summit of the mountain traverses the borders of both Syria and Lebanon. It's a massive mountain range. Those of you who have been to Israel have seen it. Mount Hermon is a, uh, it's actually a, a ski resort. You can go up there they'll, when there's snow on the mountains. And it's a part of the Golan Heights. I love seeing this again, that the Lord was out in nature with his boys again. He says, hey, guys, let's go take a hike. Lord, do you want to go up that mountain? Yes. Put on your good sandals. Get your ultra, ultra boost sandals on. We're going to the top. And they go to these places, and they go there alone where it is quiet. I'm telling you, another small reminder for all of us. There is nothing like being alone in the place with God. Alone in nature, if it's in your backyard, find a quiet place. Find a place with the Lord. Go for a walk. I dare you. Find those quiet times and allow the Lord to minister to you. He doesn't take all the disciples with him. He only takes three. And he does this on purpose. Jesus did have an inner circle of guys, his close friends, Peter, James, and John, and subsequently they would become the prominent leaders of the New Testament church with Paul. These would be the guys. So the Lord was taking time to disciple them a little extra because he knew they were going to be the leaders of the church. He was imparting truth to them over and over. And if you didn't know, all of the letters and all the writings in the New Testament, all of the things that the apostles were writing down they are all just the things that they learned from Jesus in those first three years with him. They spent three years being discipled by the Lord, and when they're writing letters to the churches, which is the New Testament, all of those writings are just the stories and teachings that Jesus told them. He said, go therefore make disciples of all nations. Remember? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then I want you guys to teach them all that I have commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So they are hiking to the highest place in Israel to see the most jaw-dropping moment of their lives. Yes, greater than walking on water. Their minds are about to be blown like they can't even believe. Take a look at what happens on top of this mountain. Verse 2. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. Amazing. All of a sudden, you know, Peter's like tightening up his sandals. You know, he's tying his shoe. You know, John's sitting over there on a rock, you know. I know James is staring at the bird that's flying by. All of a sudden, they're standing there and beams of light start to blast from the face of Jesus. And his clothes start to glow like the whitest light you have ever seen. It's like staring into a mirror that's reflecting the sun. You ever knew that? There's a mirror there and the sun is reflecting off it and your eyes just like barely catch it and you're like, I mean, it literally almost burns out your eyes. Your eyes can barely receive it. He is shining brighter than the sun. Right in front of the disciples, his face is glowing. It's a heavenly state. But he is still, notice, in human form. It's almost mutant-like or X-Men type. The disciples' jaws must have hit the floor like, Peter, are you seeing what I'm seeing right now? Is this real? Pinch me so I know I'm still on earth and alive. Are we in heaven right now? The Lord is shining brighter than a star right now. Beaming light from his own face. John 8, 12 says, said, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Think about that. It says he, he is shown like the sun, so there is a physical brightness beaming from him. But take this in. Take in the fact that he is also shining truth and love, and peace, and joy, that all of that is beaming from him. If he is the light of the world, it is not just a physical thing taking place, but a spiritual thing happening as disciples are and they are soaking it in. They're getting a suntan right there from the Lord Jesus. Matthew, the author, uses the word, he was transfigured. You see that in your text, church? What's that word? Say that with me. Transfigured. One more time. Transfigured. He was transfigured before them. The word in the original language is metamorpho. Yes, a connection to the word metamorphosis. The process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. He, he, he metamorphicked before them. The same description was given to Moses after he was with God for 40 days on Mount Sinai. Do you remember the text? Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to go spend time with God, and he hangs out with God for 40 days to get the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 says this, When Moses came down from, the, from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware... He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, 
His face was radiant. They were afraid to come near to him. His face was glowing. Verse 33 says in Exodus 34, when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. Moses, we can't sleep. Can you turn your face off? No, they were scared of him because it was beaming from his face. Amazing. The Lord Jesus' face was shining. The book of Revelation, chapter 20, 22, verse 5, says this about the Lord's face. Check this out. There will be no night there in heaven, no need for lamps or sun in heaven, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. There will be no lights in heaven. Did you know that? No sun or moon in heaven, because the sun is already there. And he will illuminate the heavens and the earth. Powerful. The face of God will illuminate the heavens and the earth. And they were getting a glimpse of that right now. Then it gets crazier. Are you ready? Look at verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Jesus is shining like a superhuman. His face is shown like the sun, and his clothes are activated and glowing. And all of a sudden, Moses walks up. And Peter's like, what the? Jesus? Lord? And Jesus says, Peter, come over here. I want to introduce you to my good friend, Moses. Peter's like, what? Like the Moses? Like the Red Sea guy? Like the let my people go guy, like the Ten Commandments guy. Jesus is like, yes, it's Moses from 1,400 years ago. He's here. But that's not all. I want to introduce you to my other good friend, John. Come over here. I want you to meet my friend, Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of God, walks up. You mean the guy that called down fire from heaven at the Super Bowl of the gods on Mount Carmel? Yes, that guy. Here he is. Peter, James, and John must have been beside themselves. Here is Moses who brought forth the law of God and Elijah, who brought down fire from heaven by the hand of God, were standing right in front of them. It would be like Jesus bringing you to meet your two childhood heroes or influences. Can you imagine if Moses walked on stage right now? Moses, come on out. Why did you guys get scared? <laughs> Can you imagine? I can't, actually. I'd be beside myself. And Peter and James and John felt it even more than us because they were Jews and they studied the Old Testament. The Old Testament was their Bible. The New Testament did not exist yet. The New Testament was being written as they were living their lives were the documentation of the New Testament. So the only Bible they had was the Torah, was the Tanakh, was the Pentateuch, the Old Testament. And they studied it. And you know the two greatest heroes there, two of the greatest, Moses and Elijah. Moses was a picture, Bible students, of what? The law. Elijah was a picture of what? The prophets. The law and the prophets. 
On everything hangs the law and the prophets. These two commands, Jesus would say, to love God and love people. But in these two figures, there is a picture summarization of the entire Old Testament Bible standing in human form, Moses and Elijah. Amazing. If you could meet any Bible characters in real life here today, who would they be? Maybe Noah, the ark builder. Maybe Abraham, the sojourner. Maybe Joseph, the king of Egypt. Maybe Joshua, the general. Maybe King David, the giant slayer. Maybe Solomon, the richest, most powerful, wisest king to ever walk the earth. Peter, James, and John wanted to meet Moses and Elijah. And here they are, all at the same time. Jesus is beaming the, the sun in a glorified state. And Moses and Elijah walk up, and Jesus just starts shooting the rap with them. He's like, let's, okay, let's do our little meeting. Okay, guys, all right, thanks for coming. Um, let's talk about, okay, so I want to make sure this happens, this happens, this happens. Are you guys good with that? Okay, good, all right. They literally, this is crazy. Receiving orders from the Lord. Verse 4 says, Peter answered and said to Jesus, this is awesome, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three booths here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter, you idiot. He is standing there in awe and in silence. Peter's just staring, right? There's, there's Jesus, there's Moses, there's Elijah. He's just standing there. He's like, well, man, I don't know what to do. I, better, I don't know. Should I do something? Should I do something? Peter, John, should I say something? I don't know. Should I say something? He's standing there. He doesn't know what to do. So he says, shoot, I better say something. He says, um, um, Lord, it is good that we are here. <laughs> Cue the crickets, right? Jesus turns around. Is that you again? What? Moses is like, who's that? This is one of my guys, you know. <laughs> Elijah's like, you want me to call down fire right now on him? <laughs> no, no. This is classic. This is what Peter does. Mark writes in his gospel in Mark 9, 6, that Peter said this because he did not know what to say for they were terrified. Mark literally writes it down. Peter didn't know what to say, so he just says something. We've all been there. After he says this, it is good we are all here. It's really funny that Peter actually includes himself in this statement. He's like, uh, he's like, he sent out the invites for a secret meeting on the mountain. It's good that we're all here. Thank you for coming. Moses and Elijah, we're happy you're here. Maybe he goes a little, you know, short with Elijah, calls him Eli. Glad you could make it. But Jesus is shaking his head at Peter. He says, Lord, it's good for us that we are here. And he says, if you wish, I'll make three booths or three tents, some of your translations say. I, I, can, I can build like three tents for you guys like right now if you want to do this. And these tents are basically referring to tabernacles. Now you Bible students know that tabernacles were basically the old school picture of the temple. Because in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting, is the place that God would meet with man. And so Peter is basically saying, I can make three tabernacles. He refers, Matthew points out the word booths or the feast of booths. 
Tabernacles, remembering that God dwelt with man in the tabernacle or in the tent that he met with man and that he did in the temple of Solomon. But now, how does he meet with us? Where is the temple now? Where is the tabernacle now? It's us. That God dwells in us. We are the tent. We are the tabernacle. We are the temple. And God dwells in his people. There's no need for building anymore. There's no need for temple anymore. For God dwells in his people. But that's what Peter is saying. The best part of this interaction is in the beginning of verse 5. Take a look. Verse 5. While he, Peter, was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. While Peter was speaking, while Peter had his foot in his mouth, because he was doing the nervous talk thing, God the Father shows up in a glowing cloud. It's like Peter's talking. It's good that we were all here. Should I build something for you guys? What do you want to do? You want to do one over here? I could set one up right here for you, Mo. You know, Eli, you want to do one right over here? We can do that. God the Father, a cloud just shows up and he says, hey, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Peter, you know, is dead silent. Peter, God the Father is saying, we are no longer going to listen to you. Stop talking. This is my beloved son, Yeshua, and I am very well pleased with him. Listen to everything he says. We only hear God the Father speak two times in the New Testament, and you were looking at one of them. Do you remember when the other time was? At the baptism of the Lord Jesus, that's right. The Holy Spirit showed up. Jesus was in the water with John the Baptist, and God the Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. Virtually says the exact same thing, except he added on one phrase, this phrase, and I think it is so needed and so important. Listen to him. Listen to him. The Lord Jesus. He's the one. Moses and Elijah are standing right here. I know. Listen to him. The Shekinah glory of God the Father from the Old Testament showed up. God revealed himself in the form of a cloud many times in the Old Testament. Peter, James, and John are now seeing this glowing cloud of glory and hearing the voice of God the Father. What a, an amazing moment. And Moses and Elijah are there, and the Lord Jesus is beaming brighter than a star. And it says in verse 6, when the disciples heard God the Father speak, they fell on their faces and were terrified. The voice of God. I don't know if this is true, but man, there has been some times when I've been in, uh, you get into a stadium for maybe a concert and you hear, let's just say 50 or 100,000 people sing at the top of their lungs together. Magical. We saw it in the Rose Bowl here. You two came through like a long time ago. 100,000 people literally shouting at the top of their lungs. Maybe you go to a sports game, you see the stadium field, you hear shouting at the top of their lungs. I often wondered if the voice of God sounds something like that. 
a million voices, 10 million voices in unison, shouting at the top of their lungs. There's something anthematic about it. There's something that moves the human. I have no scripture to back this up. But I often wonder what the voice of God sounds like. They describe his voice like the sound of raging waters or a still, small voice. Never forget, my grandma told me the only time she ever heard the voice of God. The only time she ever heard the voice of God audibly, or she thinks she did, is when she was walking out of the court steps after she had gotten a divorce. She's walking down the court steps, and she hears the word, Esther. Esther. And she said she turned around and nobody was there. She's telling me this story as a kid. God was speaking to her directly. It was still, it was small. No one else heard it but her. But it impacted her forever. They heard the voice of God and it says they fell on their faces and were terrified. In a good way. And I want to encourage you today, if the Lord's speaking to you, I hope you receive what he's saying. Let him minister to you. Let him bless you. Let him encourage you. Let him correct you. He's a good father. He loves his kids. He wants the best for you. Father knows best. There is no other, God, no other response when God shows up. John, who's standing there on the mountain with Jesus and Moses and Elijah, he wrote the book of Revelation, and he wrote this down in chapter 1, verse 16, in his right hand when he saw the Lord. He had seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Does that sound familiar? And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he had placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am now alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Amazing. John saw this in the future when he was on the island of Patmos. He was banned there. They tried to kill him, the apostle John, by boiling him in a pot of oil, and he wouldn't burn. So they said, forget this, we're banning you to the island of Patmos. On the island is where he received the vision of the book of Revelation, and he wrote it down. He saw God, and he fell before him like a dead man. I don't think that any of us will stand before the Lord. When we see him one day, our first response when we see the Creator is we will fall on our faces, and we will worship, and we'll be in awe that we're even there. There will be both the greatest fear and the greatest joy at the same time. The greatest peace. I can't believe I made it. I can't believe I'm here. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, and Jesus came to them. When they're on the ground, bowed to the floor, and it says he touched them and said, get up. Do not be afraid. Interesting, it's the same thing he said to John in the book of Revelation. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. The Lord Jesus walked over to them as they were bowed to the ground and said, don't be afraid. And he helped Peter, James, and John off the ground. And they saw everyone had magically vanished except the Lord. 
Remember what just happened? The Lord was, was shining like the stars. Moses, Elijah shows up. God the Father shows up in the form of a cloud. It says, listen to him, my beloved son. They fall on their faces bowing. The Lord touches them. Before they know it, everything is back to normal. And it's just them and Jesus. What was the Lord showing them? Four things I want to tell you real quick. Number one, Jesus, he was telling them that Jesus is from heaven. He's glowing before their eyes. He's fully man, but fully God as well. What would you think if you saw Jesus glowing in front of you? But it was your friend. It was the guy you were hanging out with every day. And he takes you up on the top of a mountain. He's like, I want to show you a little secret. Boom. You're like, whoa, you are not. You're, you're not like one of us. But he is fully like one of them. For they ate with him. They cried with him. They laughed with him. They had a blast with him. He is the God man. And I want you to take this away and remember that. It was confirmed by two or three witnesses. Peter, James, and John all saw it, and they would go on to tell the world, we saw him with our own eyes. We saw him transfigure. His face glowed like the sun. And then he, Moses and Elijah showed up. A.W. Tozer said, we know how God would act if he were in our place. He has been in our place. He has been in our place. Jesus has walked with man. Point number two, what this shows is that Moses and Elijah report to Jesus. The law and all the prophets point to Jesus. They showed up and they're like, we are not, I know you guys think we're great, Moses and Elijah calling them the fire from heaven and the parting of the Red Sea and all this great stuff, but actually he's the guy who supplied me with the power to pull all that stuff off. He's the guy. He shines through me. He shines through me. He's the one who told me to raise the staff. He's the one who told me to call down the fire from heaven. He's the one. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, Moses, or abolish the prophets, Elijah. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. These are my guys. We're in this together. But Moses and Elijah report to Jesus. It gave him all authority when Peter, James, and John saw this. They're like, oh, he's the big dog. He's the big boss. He's the one that we should point everyone to. Not Moses and not Elijah. Because there was a lot of talk about Elijah and a lot of talk about Moses because of the law and the Jewish culture, of course. There still is to this day. And we'll see it in our text. Point three I want you to take away. Jesus is the Son of God. It was confirmed by the Father right before their eyes. They're like, oh yeah, Jesus really is God's Son. We saw it. We actually heard it with our own ears from heaven. There is no question now. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. The voice from heaven said it, and they heard it, and they would share it with everyone they knew. I want to ask you, has God revealed himself to you? Has there ever been a time when God actually revealed himself to you where you sensed him show up in a powerful way in your life and you know it was the Lord if that has happened in your life I promise and I dare you to tell others because if you do it may minister it may build up it may encourage you can argue with all kinds of different things but you cannot argue with a life changed.
You cannot argue. I'm just telling you, man, once I was dead and now I'm alive. I'm telling you, once I was empty and now I'm, I'm filled. I know you're working through this with your family. I know you're working through this in your marriage. I know you're working through this in your job. I just want to tell you that God loves you. And God showed up in my life. If you ever need prayer, you let me know, okay? I'll pray for you. Simple deposits like that go a thousandfold. That's what the disciples ultimately did. They just went around saying, look, we experienced God. We experienced the Son of God. We touched Him. We met with Him. We talked with Him. We saw it happen. And I'm telling you, He's real. If you would call upon Him, He will save you. It's real. We're not, there's no goof here. We're not messing around. This is real. And of course, thousands upon millions have responded to the Lord Jesus and have a relationship with Him now. Fourth thing you can take away from Jesus transforming in front of these disciples was that God wants the world to listen to Jesus alone. Listen to Him. Not Moses. Not Elijah. Not the prophets of old. They all point to Jesus alone. When we read the Old Testament, we don't follow the prophets. We listen to what they said about God, and we follow the one they followed. It's the Lord. And I love that God the Father says this, listen to Jesus alone. You know, we got a lot of voices in our society, don't we? A lot of counselors, a lot of coaches in this day and age, and while we can receive advice and instruction from them on all kinds of things, which I think is great, we should we should also watch deeply what we allow to impact our lives deeply. I want to ask you today, what is your source of truth? I hope the foundation of your truth is the Word of God, the Lord Jesus, and not all the other voices coming at you. When someone gives you or me advice or principles for living or new ideas and concepts, really doesn't matter what it is. I think subconsciously I do this now. I run it through the grid of God's Word. It doesn't matter how good it sounds on the surface. If something even slightly contradicts God's word, I slow down and I try to figure out what's being said and implied before I apply it to my life and start following it. So many of these new truths that are on the horizon seem fun and interesting on the surface, but after you get deep into them, you see their flaws. And it's important to watch closely. The father would say, listen to him. And again, look, I've been encouraged by so many different books so many different people in life, wisdom from all kinds of different directions. But I'm always taking that wisdom and putting it through the grid of God's word to make sure it aligns with him. And even if they're a non-believer and they've told me this and it aligns with what God has said, I'm like, thank you, I'll take that. There's a couple that are, I'll just, I'll just give you a couple that people are working with and trying to figure out. We hear this phrase, love yourself all the time, right? Now, loving yourself is not a bad thing. We should make sure we are taking care of ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. But if you take loving yourself to its natural end, you have selfishness. You know that? Yeah, I love me. Oh, me, 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 All about me, baby. I need to love me above everything else. That won't work as a parent, that's for sure, huh? And that does not work in marriage. So there's a balance. We take care of ourselves, but Jesus said it's far better to give than receive. Now, isn't it? And that the greatest way to love is to serve others and count others higher than ourselves is to be selfless as he was. 
And these are the people we love the most in life. They are the kindest, sweetest, most humble, joyful people. Not the the self uh, guy or dude who, who loves himself more than everybody. Not the me monster, okay? The me guy. Another popular one we hear is, well, your truth is your truth and I have my truth. You got your truth and I got my truth and ah, I like that. You know, sounds great on the surface, but it actually makes no sense. Truth by definition is exclusive. There's actually only one, so someone is actually wrong. I know, we don't like that. But second, convincing a next generation that it's okay to think this way is actually dangerous because that means anything can now be true. I think it's okay to murder people. You walk them and say, no, that's wrong. Well, that's your truth and I have mine. It's okay for a grandfather to marry his granddaughter. That's wrong. Well, that's your truth and I have mine. They love each other, so it's fine. How about a man who wants to marry his dog? Bestiality. No, nothing wrong with that, right? Really, according to what source of truth is it wrong or not wrong? You say, I think it's right, and we love each other, and so uh, I have my truth, and you have your truth, and let's get on our way. It sounds great on the surface, but in the end, anything can be true that you want to be true, and you actually become God, making all of the rules and truth for your own life. A great philosophical argument you can use to ask somebody, well, do you believe, believe in absolute truth? Ask them. Do you believe in absolute truth? Most people will say, no, there is no absolute truth. Then you say, are you absolutely sure? That is the truth? That there is no absolute truth? Are you absolutely sure that is true? Oh, interesting. That can't be true either because you don't believe anything is absolutely true. You see... We have to have a source. And when Hitler tried to say he didn't do anything wrong, and the SS soldiers tried to say they didn't do anything wrong at the Nuremberg trials, because they were just obeying the government, and the law said to kill Jews, and the high court said, no, no, we do not adhere to the governments of the world. We adhere to a higher government, the, God, the government of God, the Almighty, who says it is wrong to murder your neighbor. Thus you are guilty. We need a foundation of truth. And so, listen, receive from other people. Get built up and encouraged by other people. Receive those things. It's good to do that. You can do that from all types of people. Put it through the word of God. Listen to Jesus alone, the Father says. John 14, 6, Jesus has said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, Jesus said. I am the life and no one gets to God except through me. He is the source of all truth and wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3 says, In him Jesus lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that none of you will be deceived with well-crafted arguments. Paul says this. Beautiful. I'm telling you, every teaching, every book, every idea, every new truth, put it through Jesus' worldview. Before you find yourself on some path not knowing how you got there, the world is so crafty and clever. Satan has been studying, human, been studying humans for thousands of years, and he knows how to deceive us. Okay? Let's look at these last verses, and we'll close. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, 
Tell what you saw, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. They have this heavenly moment, and Jesus says, boys, get over here. Do not tell anybody what you saw until I die and rise from the dead. Then you can tell everybody, but don't do it yet. It's not time. Verse 10, and his disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah has first come? There was all of this discussion about Elijah because the book of Malachi, which is the final book of the Old Testament, if you go to your Old Testament, you'll see there is a lot of talk about the prophet Elijah coming back. Look at verse 11 and 12 and 13. Jesus said to them about Elijah, Elijah is coming and restore all things, but I say to you that Elijah has already came. They did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished, so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoke to them about John the Baptist. Jesus says two things. Elijah will come back, and he has already come. How is that possible? Elijah is a picture of first the Lord Jesus coming back and returning and making all things right. Jesus is referring to himself as Elijah, the one who comes back. But he also says Elijah already came. How could he be coming and already came? He says he came in the form of John the Baptist. That Malachi that you were talking about or looking to and discussing is in the form of John the Baptist. They didn't receive him. Herod killed him. I want to ask you this question as we close today. Do you believe Jesus is shining brighter than the sun even now. I hope he is into your life. And I hope that he is, you're believing that he is working to make all things right and all things new. Jesus will return to the earth, there is no question, and he will establish his kingdom and presence and do away with wickedness and make all things new. And I want to ask you today, if Christ returned today, are you ready for his return? Yeah. Amen. The end of the story looks like this. Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne will say, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm making all things back to the way it's supposed to be. He's working now. We get to see glimpses of it, huh? Please, let Christ shine into your life so much that you would shine into others and the light would enter them and change them and darkness would flee. In Jesus' name, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. He does shine brightly. He shines way brighter than a diamond, that's for sure. He shines like the sun. And we pray, Lord, that you would shine into our lives even now. Father, let your light shine in our hearts, shine in our minds, and let, let the darkness flee. I pray for everyone here, maybe some who don't know you, maybe some who have not asked you to save them, forgive them of their sin. I pray that they would call upon you now and say, forgive me, God. Help me shine light into my life. Let the darkness flee from my life. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. Lord, would you start to make all things new in their life now by the power of your Holy Spirit as they believe on you in faith. Let them see their sin and see the greatness of your work on the cross, dying for their sin, taking their punishment, so they can be forgiven 
and enter into heaven with you forever. Father, give them a relationship with you. Grant that to them now. Please, would you do that work? Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Fill us with your light, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.